Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Konga. I'm Ryan Hun. How are you, Ryan? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very well, indeed. You Very should well. be after where we went on Saturday. Yeah, we did. We had Nahari. Straight Shabs. the food chat. Mama Shabs. This place. So uh, Nahari's kind of incredible fiery stew um <laughs> with very very generous amounts of naan bread too i have to say damn right outstanding outstanding it was your very first one wasn't it reichenbeger strasse 61a In that's Kreuzberg. the one yeah that's the one it's outstanding it was quite fun because i finished mine very quickly you did you virtually drank it you're basically a dragon um and then, that's what happens when you're a seasoned vet a, a pro yeah then you're straight off to the um <laughs> straight off to the hair to Dortmund game yeah which we'll talk about back to my place to recover and then i ended up writing an essay most of the weekend so two and a half thousand words of football writing later but i enjoyed it so yeah it was nice. a great weekend yeah there was definitely a moment where i saw you were kind of having a spiritual it was yeah it got spiritual at one point yeah I, i'm like i have a very sort of particular relationship with good food for me, it's a form of like ritual communion. So yeah, that was. Now you've added a fifth place that you can go and eat in Berlin. <laughs> fifth place. <laughs> Do you know this is just where's because? The where's the lie? Just because I don't give away my favourite spots Where? on Stadio. All right, I, okay. I will not be drawn out. Fifth non-cake place. I will not be drawn out. That's not a lie, is it? I'm not being drawn out. No, you know. Yeah, you know what? Maintain this narrative. Hey, you were talking about narratives earlier. Build I, that one. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not revealing my sources <laughs> and my spots. We'll continue. You had a good time, didn't you? You went to the Hertha Dortmund game. I didn't have a great time. I was freezing. It was very, very cold. Not That's a actually a game. subtle plug for your very good piece on the Stadio site, which is the first piece on the site. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, not, a, not a great game, but Dortmund are back in it. Yeah. Maybe they we'll show. talk about it in a bit. Yeah, okay. Why not? Where should um, we start? Well, first of all, Prince fans, something coming up for you later. Yes. A real treat. A real treat, that. I would like to start... Premier League? Hmm. We're going to go there? Should we start with Messi? Yeah, we have to talk about Messi. The problem is when we start with Messi, you can't finish. Okay, look, now, Messi, for those who didn't see it, Barca played Atletico Madrid at the weekend, away, at the Wonder. And for all that know that fixture very well, it's a fixture in which Messi has traditionally been lethal. But not the Wonder. Not the Wonder. It's a fixture which I think has always promised more in terms of status as opposed to spectacle. But Messi provided both with his winning goal. And Messi scored, I think, five minutes from the end. Yeah. And the goal was... Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. It was like almost watching... It was like watching Sampras hit a forehand winner at the end of like a long rally in a tie break. It was just so clean. Do you know what I thought had happened? Because he takes basically no backlift. Right. And looks like he makes a side foot pass and it rockets into the bottom left-hand it's corner. So far- to yeah. the point where I thought my stream had stopped. And you know where it fast yeah. forwards to catch up? That's yeah. what I thought happened. But Oblak, and it's crazy that this goal is, Oblak had been stopping everything. And if you watch the replay, he doesn't get within a metre of it. What was the thing that the Spanish football podcast called him? Oblactopus. <laughs> <laughs> the Oblak. This, so I think that it looked like Sid Lowe's hand was in that. That seems, you know, definitely. I, know, I know that Phil Kutramidis is on there, but that Sid Lowe's I'm hand was definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Oblactopus stopped everything that Bass threw at him. So it was, in a sense, a tale of two goalkeepers Ter Stegen was outstanding. Saved a half volley header. Saved a header on the half volley. Yeah. Which was. He got away of, with one in the first half, though. True. But th- that save was one of the best I've ever seen. And considering the context of the game, with that, the win put Barca back top, but back to Messi. The goal actually reminded me of one which Zidane scored. I can't remember who against. It might have been against Sociedad. It was, it was in the um, La Liga, obviously, a sort of 2005, six season, maybe. And 
when he plays the ball into Ronaldo and Ronaldo plays the ball straight back. Mm. And then he hits the sort of left foot curling strike in the bottom corner. And it was the only goal I can remember executed at that kind of speed. So sort of one, two, which has the understanding. And obviously Zidane Ronaldo's understanding was amazing. And Suarez Messi is an outstanding partnership, which is on a similar level. Only really happens in the rain, that goal. Yeah, it does. It does. But the genius of the goal was that Messi used everything. He used all the strengths of Atleti against them. That's the beauty of the one The nine defenders in the box just to curl the ball around. The him. nine defenders. Yeah, he used the defender as a shield. You know that when you make the defender to an enemy of the goalkeeper. And also the drift across the face of the box is so clever because then no one comes out to get you. A defence sits deep. You don't attack them. You go across them. Mm. And Messi does this time and again. He did to Bilbao actually in a famously close game a few years back. I think it was the treble winning season where he goes across the face of the defence yeah. and then makes the cut. There's a pocket on the pitch whenever Messi gets into that specific spot going towards goal. It's almost like, you know in Prometheus, right? The movie. Yeah. Was it Prometheus or was it Interstellar where they go to this other planet and they basically age super quick? Yes. Because time moves faster. And the wave is there. It's like everyone else slows down. He has this amazing ability just to kind of flick a switch and everyone goes into a different gravitational pull. Such such a brilliant analogy. Because I he's love this. traveling at a certain speed and you can just see what's going to happen way before and there is no way to stop it. There's no way I to lo- stop it. You can be in the best defensive formation. You can be as switched on as you can be, but everyone's just operating like one year for, for Messi is like eight for everyone else. Such a brilliant analogy. Like because Messi makes everyone age. It's, that's genius. You know, the other person, the only other player I've ever seen that had that capacity in terms of a space was Del Piero. Mm. They called it the Del Piero zone. You know, and he was like, Top of the box. That sounds like a terrible Friday night Channel 4 programme. Yeah, I know, I know. Top of the box. And he would just like, he would hit these beautiful curling strikes in the top corner. But you're right, Messi, he did the same thing actually against Brazil in the 4-3. You know, the 4-3, um, the friendly yeah. game, he scores the hat trick. Yeah. And he gets the ball out on the left flank, on the right flank, sorry, and cuts in. And the thing I loved about this goal, there's so many subtle elements I love, but actually one thing I love about it so much is the first touch. Yeah. Because when Messi gets the ball, most players out on the right flank who are left-footed will take the ball on the outside of their left foot and push towards goal. Messi is so comfortable technically that he takes it on the toes. He takes it on his instep. Like I'm, when I saw that, I was like, it's on. You know, you see Messi, you're like, it's on, it's showtime. You just can't stop it. You can see it happening four or five seconds before. It's almost become boring talking about how great this is because it's so frequent. I can't figure it out still. Can I, can I actually throw something in there? Um, I want to mention this aspect of it because I think it's important. At times people say that genius gets monotonous. You know, no, we have to keep talking about genius. So the only example of Messi's dominance in terms of being monotonous and boring to some people I could think of is actually Pete Sampras when he was just winning Wimbledon every, you know, every year it seemed at one point and Agassi came along and everyone was like, oh, Agassi's so much more interesting than, than uh, Messi. <laughs> everyone no, was going, Agassi, Agassi was pre-Sampras. But everyone, no, 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 they played that, no, they played that Wimbledon final. Oh, you mean, I thought, because yeah. I was going to say their peak careers, like Agassi was pre-Sampras. So, so when Agassi came along, Agassi was just like flying and everyone was like, oh. Was like, bald, bald Agassi at this point? Uh, no, he wasn't bald at that point. I don't think he was. I think yeah, he was bald at that point. So Agassi gets the final of Wimbledon against Sampras and Sampras is like, serve volley, serve volley, technically brilliant, beautiful, flawless. But everyone's like, oh, it's a bit dull because he's always winning. Strong eyebrows. Right. And then Sampras, and this is incredible. If you look at the Sampras-Agassi final, Sampras wins in straight sets. And it's basically the most messy I've ever seen a tennis player. Where basically everyone's like, oh my God, you're so dull. And Sampras plays Agassi's own game and beats him. It's the most beautiful exhibition. The opening set of Sampras Agassi at Wimbledon reminded me of Messi's goal 
he's just basically putting the game on notice. He's like, I can beat you all ends up and I can make it slick while I'm doing it. Mm. And some might say that Messi actually is not trying to be beautiful, that he only aims for the aesthetic. I don't know. I think Messi enjoys art. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes when you see Messi, there's a crossfield pass, the famous moment where someone is a crossfield pass to Messi and instead of just taking the first touch, he volleys up his instep and then juggles it twice and then lays it off. And I'm like... But that's not very messy. Like You don't see him do that very often. I think he does it at certain points of games. So you know when... Um, with Zidane, like when Zidane had like two or three touches early on in a game, you knew he was on. And then Zidane starts doing these kind of rolls up the party pieces. And Messi, you would see Messi in certain matches. He starts playing with... I think more freedom. I don't, I'm not referring to his nutmegs because his nutmegs actually are means to an end. They are efficient. But I do think every now and again, Messi just plays for fun. And with joy. I mean, we don't, we'll never know this because he never talks about it. He'll never actually admit to it. But mm. I think there are the odd times when he's like, I'm also going to do this because it looks nice. Like the chip against Severe when he nutmegs the um, centre-back and then floats the chip instead of going round him or driving it. He's like, I'm going to float it. Yeah, I think he's an ace thief. And I think it's important to talk about this because I think if we just go, oh yeah, Messi did it again. One day we're not going to have Messi. I know. You know? I know. I enjoyed his celebration. I like, I like angry Messi. Oh gosh. I mean, my favourite angry Messi is still the goal in the Classico when he goes and like shows them his shirt. That oh, is still the yeah, great, yeah, yeah. that is the most gangster. I think Ramos is still sliding from that actually. Yeah. <laughs> was it Ramos? It was Ramos, right? He it put was, someone on the backside. He put everyone on skates. He yeah. put the game on notice. It was, yeah, it was like a, there was a- Shout out to Andre Gomez, wherever yeah. Andre Gomez is recuperating. Andre Gomez in that game. He's brilliant. I know it was the first time and the last time I was like, oh my God, Andre Gomez might just make it. There's, you know, there's certain players you really root for. Mm. The problem, I think, for Simeone's team is there seems to be a question of identity there. I mean, they're still figuring it out, aren't they, still? They are. And it's December. I don't think Thomas Lamar is going to be the guy. No, although he was quite good in midweek. <sighs> Just in the moment when he could have been decisive. It's the old cliche, but he didn't have the extra aggression to force the issue. Mm. Um, and aside from Murata, they don't have a consistent goal threat. Shouts to Lee Roden. I saw him after our Zlatan chat last week. Was it last week or the week before? We that talking? was a bold shout from Lee. I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Zlatan to, uh, to Atleti. I imagine Zlatan and Simeone pairing up. But you know what though? Atleti don't need a team any slower than they have already. They don't need a slow attack. They'd be far better off with someone like Yaki Williams, actually. Oh, he's not going to go. But he, he's not. But they need someone that stretches the play. You know, they need something that really stretches it. Yeah, but I wonder if Simeone knows how to handle that, those kind of players. He doesn't, does he? That's the thing. That's why maybe someone like Zlatan would fit. I think he needs someone that can basically set up shop by themselves. And the problem is the kind of Simeone system, you need someone that's going to do all their own work. You need a guy like Ian Wright, to be honest. Like a guy or David Veer, someone that will just go and like, I mean, David Veer was old when he went to Atleti, but you need someone that's going to go and, okay, here's a four-four-one. You'll have a playmaker. And that's it. Everything else is yours. The final third is yours. You need someone like you, you need a magician. And there aren't many magicians, actually. If you look at world football, there are very few people that could plunder. I don't think Lewandowski could do it because I think his game is still too narrow. I think he likes to centre the pitch. You basically need someone that can play left wing, right wing and striker up front for Atleti mm. to really thrive in that system. I, I don't know who that is, frankly, at the moment. Oh, you know who could do it? Sadio Mane could do it. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Hey, Sadio Mane, Atleti is a massive... Massive shout. He would, he'd be the player that could really make that, that work. So yeah, Barca were top. Real beat Alaves 2-1. No real surprises there. Yeah. And the rest of it was kind of Odegaard. as you'd expect. Odegaard got a beauty for Sociedad and yeah. they won 4-1 at the weekend. Uh, against uh, against Bar. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the Premier League because we, we left the Premier League very late last week. We did. Let's get into it now. Let's get into the Premier League. Where would City. you like? City, Newcastle, I think has to start there. 
the folly of Guardiola failing to recruit in the summer in the defensive positions. Oh, didn't someone come after you on Twitter? Uh, someone said I said that no one beat City, but I seem to recall saying that I thought they were really weak there. If you attack the centre-backs, there's a lot of joy there. <laughs> Everyone's been doing that. Mm. And the problem with not investing your centre-backs when you've got a new defensive midfielder is the defensive midfielder then has to adjust to a configuration where he's not comfortable. If you bring in, you know, a DM with two great centre-backs, he can ease himself into the, into the play, but Rodri has basically stepped into a hurricane because everyone is attacking that space now, that sort, of, that sort of the weak triangle. And the problem, I think, for City is they don't have a variety of number eights. You look at Liverpool, by contrast, we've discussed this before, they have number eights that can play dirty, slow the game down. Oh, I mean, City mm. can slow the game down. Yeah, but, but not in an attritional game, not in a physical attritional game to that extent. I, I'm not as convinced of their ability to do that as I am of Liverpool. City's ability to really fight dirty, I don't know it. They're not as good as that as they were last year, I think. I don't think it's massively deep, to be honest. I think it's just a situation where they've lost a few players in, in a position that they weren't Didn't deep invest in, in. Yeah. and it's just thrown them off balance. And I think the thing about Guardiola teams is that they have to be, it's, it's like a chemical chemical equation. Everything has, in place. If, if you put too much of one element in there, the whole thing falls apart. It's either going to fuel vehicles for the rest of time and save the planet or it's going to cause a huge explosion. <laughs> Do you know yeah, I mean? no, that's it. <laughs> it's like, no, but I mean, in, that's what I mean in, in terms of a structural sense, like it is, if one element's missing, if you don't have a kind of ball winning team and you rely on ball circulation, one bit's missing, then it, it, it's a kind of like, like mm. you said, it's an instant collapse. But also I would like to shout out Steve Bruce because I think he's doing a really good job at Newcastle and they've picked up points against Spurs, against City, Oh, so they play. They picked up some they points. They beat United. Beat United. I mean, United, we're not great, but that's yeah, but a picture they struggled to win in previous you years. Know, when Steve Bruce took over the Newcastle job, not a lot of people thought they'd be, I mean, what are they? Let's have a quick peek. I mean, they're four points clear of the relegation zone, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they're 14th. Yeah. And that, they'll take that, especially what they've been through the last couple of years. Not a huge gap from 14th to high levels of the table either. No, I mean... I think they're only they're only three points behind Arsenal. Yeah, Spurs up to fifth as well after two wins, and the yeah. Spurs were quite low down as well. Yeah, Spurs. Deli Ali's back. Yeah, Marino doesn't agree with your Deli Ali in midfield. <laughs> no, someone else mentioned like Deli Ali. Um, that was Cal. up front as opposed to because I said like I thought I still think he can play midfield if he has to if he played it as an eight. I think in certain teams, well, if you put Deli Ali at City, I think he'd be great in an eight. In fact, he first embarrassed Modric in the preseason in midfield. Um, only preseason, but yeah, he looked good at there. But yeah, playing as a second striker and thriving under Mourinho. If uh, Spurs scored three goals in all of Mourinho's first three games, I think so. They've conceded, I think, two, two in each. each. Yeah, uh, and Ericsson looks like the full guy, which actually was probably quite foreseeable because Ericsson was. He's also been slightly subpar for the last mm. season or so. So yeah. yeah, big win for West Ham at Chelsea. Huge win. Cresswell yeah, doing win. the business. Yeah, it's a good goal that. Yeah, very good goal. Giroud getting slightly maligned for a couple of misses. I mean, they weren't as easy as they looked. Uh, oh, chances man, that he missed. Just leave, leave Olivier alone. No, whenever he got a lot of criticism for actually flagging it up. Yeah, no, uh, not you. I'm yeah, just meant just everyone. Gen- generally, yeah. Poor yeah. guy. He's got such a he gets such a hard time. He should like, go to Dortmund. He should go to Dortmund. They really need him. They really do need a yeah, striker. Yeah, yeah. And they need him specifically. His skill set. Well, just to just to raise the hot level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course. they're doing all right. They're a decent looking team, Dortmund, aren't they? Yeah, but I mean, 
you know, you put Drew in there. It's yeah, anyone. Yeah. Very handsome run. I have to say, I would not particularly enjoy being a, a Dortmund player going into a bar alongside Giroud because you wouldn't get much, uh, you would get much attention, would you? Yeah. <laughs> alongside a guy like that. I'll get these then. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll hang up the jackets. Yeah. Um, should we talk about Arsenal a bit? Because we didn't, we didn't do a podcast about Emery going. Yeah, why not? That Wow, that's wild. I mean, what, Emery going? Well, just like, we've it's just... probably a month too late, to be but honest. But look, we're so blasé. We've just replaced Pochettino with Mourinho and Emery's gone. And we're just, it's just, <laughs> we're so much, I think we're just getting used, not us specifically, but just people generally to these managerial changes. Like, Jungberg at Arsenal, yeah, totally makes sense. I was very into... Lumberg with Per Mertesacker as the number two on the weekend. It's very wholesome, isn't it? And then it? Arsenal had all of the ball. I actually tweeted about this. Arsenal had all of the ball, played brilliant for the first however long, 20 minutes or so, 1-0 down. I was like, we're back. This is it. <laughs> this is Arsenal. This is us. I've missed this. I've missed this so much. But actually, let's start with the positives. That first half, maybe the first half hour, was the best Arsenal I've played in the league this season, I think. Genuinely. More shots, more control of the game. Still can't defend, but... I mean, I mean that's, that's, that's the defenders, isn't systemic. it? Systemic. Yeah. There were a few questionable decisions from Lundberg in terms of who he brought on. A couple of subs didn't really work. But in a weird way, I'm kind of pleased. Pleased is a, is a, is a weird thing to say. I can kind of take the draw because if Arsenal had gone out and won 6-0... Too much expectation. Too much too soon. Look at the Solskjaer thing. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because there's this whole thing now about, I mean, not to get too pretentious about it, but... You know how like nostalgia is a big theme in politics at the moment? It's definitely a theme in football, like clubs rediscovering themselves through the appointment of former players with mixed success, if you look at unnamed clubs in Manchester. But yeah, there is something about clubs sensing, oh, maybe we've lost ourselves. Let's get a player. And not that Jungberg's not worth that. I mean, he deserves it. He's the assistant coach. He's been assistant first team coach. But there's something sort of reassuring, at least in the sort of short to medium term, about having someone there who really gets it. I'm not sure if we've had this conversation on here before. But we've definitely had it not on here about when you replace a manager, you kind of need to swing to the other end of the spectrum sometimes if things have got really bad. Yeah. So with Emery, for example, you know, seen as an outsider after a legacy manager who grew the club into what it is in its modern state, uh, had troubles with communication. You then don't go for a leg straight away. No. You go for someone like Lundberg who, you know, you're going to listen to an invincible. Sure, it was the Zidane effect at Real Madrid. You know, you're going to listen to a guy who has been at the club that long, who's understands what it's like to be those players in that position because he was there. It might not work long term, but for now, I don't think it's a terrible idea. It's almost a free hit for Jungberg. And the good thing about it is if you just do a few months and just do a creditable job and step away, you then confirm your legend. If Solskjaer actually had left... Yeah, but I think, this, I think the two scenarios are very different though, because Solskjaer, had, Solskjaer was a manager for five years. Yeah, good point. You know? good like, point, Lundberg point. has never been, yeah. had a senior role. Yeah, no, it's a very limit. I don't want to sort of like labour the point actually with that. I just want to sort of say really that on a very basic level, what they all provide, Lampard, Jungberg and Solskjaer, it's just that reassurance at that level. And there is that, I think that that's, that's part of it. Yeah, and of, I think, but also I think, you know, United had the same thing and Chelsea had the same thing where they had a run of managers where the fans didn't really connect with. Well, yeah. the, fans, the fans were feeling less and less connected to the football club and that's the thing that's happened with Arsenal over the last 18 months. So I don't see it as a terribly bad thing to reconnect the fans a little bit. Can I be honest though? I think a lot of clubs secretly envy Chelsea because Chelsea are like that kind of, they have that neighbour like who goes through quite a few like breakups or whatever and people laugh and ha ha ha, so is a serial data but then they end up meeting the love of their life. 
and everyone looks at them and kind of like, you know, has the curtain twitching judgment, but actually secretly they're like, I wish I had the guts to go out there and say this wasn't working. And Chelsea, to their credit, have the guts to say this isn't working. They mm. got rid of Scolari and they had that run. They just basically are like, we don't care what anyone thinks of us. We're going to go and get a manager that suits us. They got rid of Sarri. Everyone was like, oh my God, you want a Europa League? Like, how can you sack Sarri? You're so ungrateful. Chelsea fans I speak to are so happy. They're like, it wasn't always about trophies, believe it or not. It's about identity, which is funny because Chelsea are like associated with money and status, but it's, it's more than that. And I think Chelsea in a funny way have reminded people, this is kind of what a club is. Like Chelsea lost the weekend to West Ham. I said very well, but Chelsea fans will take comfort from, we have our identity back. And so much of the conversation I've seen coming out of the Chelsea sort of camp in terms of the, the fan base has been, yeah, whether we win or lose, we're, we're identifiably Chelsea. Yeah. And I think that what is great about Arsenal is that Arsenal just this weekend are identifiably Arsenal again. Erratic and terrible defensively. So yeah, take my money. <laughs> Can I put this into the ether as well? Shout out to Ian Wright in the jungle who is in for such a shock when <laughs> he gets out of there. Oh yeah, because he won't know, will he? <laughs> was he out for was he out for Pochettino going? No. He doesn't know about any of this. No, I don't think he, he uh, doesn't No, he wasn't. No, you know he wasn't. He doesn't know that Mourinho is at Spurs and he doesn't know. Yeah. That, <sighs> and he looks like he's been through a lot already in there. Some of <laughs> But eating all sorts. <laughs> yeah, he had to do some stuff with snakes the other day. Or was it eels? I don't the know. Funny thing not, is, I can, we can't really watch it here. He'll think he's in the jungle when he comes back. When he gets out, he'll be like, <laughs> it was wild. It's wild around here. Anyway, yeah, next, next, next up. Uh, next, I reckon we take a break. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. And after mentioning one goat at the top of the show, I'd like to talk about another one. And that's Vivian Miedemar. Oh, wow. Your shout out. She is undoubtedly my shout out this week. Oh, my goodness. This was... I, I can't remember ever seeing anything like this. So Arsenal beat Bristol City 11-1 in the, the Women's Super League. Viv Miedemar came off with 25 minutes to go. Yeah. Having... Uh, the, it was 10-0 at this point. Yeah. Having scored six, assisted four, and saying after the game... She couldn't remember if she scored six before, but she preferred the assist because she loves setting up goals. I didn't catch the game, but I caught off the highlights and I've never seen a player dominate the final third like that. And it was even the goals, they were so they were constructed in such a sort of clean, brutal fashion. The thing about Miedemar is there's, there's no backlift. There's such efficiency in the box, you know, two, three touches. And it just seems like she's been like that. Every week that I've been sort of paying close attention to Ask the Women since you basically flagged them to me. It's like she steps in and is like, I'm going to decide this moment. Bang, that's it. Yeah. Bristol City are next to bottom in the right. league. You know, they've now conceded 28 goals in eight games. So they conceded 17 in seven. Exactly. They're not that bad. And Arsenal struggled against Liverpool, who are bottom of the league. You know, they only won 1-0. Yeah, last same week, right? City, last City week, only beat Liverpool 1-0 as well this week, yeah. Yes, there is a huge disparity between the top three, potentially top four, you know, Everton are quite impressive. But it's not that but, big. It's not that big. It's not 11-1 big. 11-1 is a is a wild scoreline and, and the, the goal conceded came after Miedemar had gone off and it, was, it was the last one I think Manuela Zinsberger saved the penalty and then it went in off the rebound so Arsenal are top of the Super League on goal difference now what's well, weird because Everton had um, Everton-Chelsea game was postponed a frozen pitch I think and that's now interesting because the league is so close yeah I mean Chelsea could go top if they win that so it's a bit yeah but it's playing catch up isn't it it's slightly, slightly annoying to have that, that sort of um, 
that postponement for them. That's a great shout out. I'm going to gamble and guess your shout out. Oh, you might be wrong this time. Really? Yeah, carry on. I was going to go from one big win for my beloved Arsenal to a big win for your beloved Wolfsburg Frauen. Oh, that was big. They did Leverkusen 7-0. They've scored 50 goals in 11 games this season in the league. Wild. And Pop didn't score. This is the thing. Alex Pop didn't score in a 7-0 and she normally scores... Well, she normally scores in the close games, but not in the really big blowouts. Yeah, hat-trick for Manila Harder. Who actually was pretty quiet against Bayern. I wonder if she was feeling stung by her sort of... By her standards, quiet performance in the one-all draw uh, mm. last week. But actually, my shout-out was for Leon Bailey. Oh. Yeah. I just feel like the Bundesliga title race, as you said, like just a great league. Um, and Leon Bailey came up big. Two goals, I think his third and sec- in a, third in two games against Bayern. And they beat them 2-0, some 2-1, sorry, beat Bayern 2-1 in the belly of the beast in the Alliance itself. So, well, yeah, do you want to go there? Should we go, should we go to the Bundesliga? Why not? Let's go there. Because Bayern should have won about 8-1. Right. Uh, 8-2, sorry. There was a good piece actually that Jonathan Harding wrote for DW. Yeah. Uh, go and check it out about Hansi Flick. This is the first game Hansi Flick's lost. I think that's right. Yep. yep. And, um, you know, just the kind of, oh, Hansi Flick, he's had the greatest start to, uh, to any Bayern reign. And then, oh my God, we lost at home to Leverkusen. Hansi Flick is terrible. It's a good read. But that's just always. one of those games, kind of like with, with City and Guardiola on the weekend. I think, you know, City City's expected goals was... Shouldn't they should have won the game about three one? How many shots they had? Exactly. Wild, yeah. Yeah. And this happened with with Bayern on the weekend. They missed so many chances. Lewandowski at the woodwork three times, I think. Yeah, yeah. Fredetsky, I think, in the Leverkusen goals. To well, I actually posted that I was going to make some bootleg Fredetsky <laughs> tees after that, and also some bootleg burnt Leno tees. Wow, Leno pulled out the kids yeah. as well. The two best German goalkeepers had a great day yesterday. Ooh, spice, spice. <laughs> that's I'm going to I'm gonna have to close down my Twitter account, aren't I? No, that's the real talk. I think even Neuer accepts that. No, he probably, he probably doesn't accept it, but he can accept. Oh, I don't know. I he don't can know. accept he's not on the best I mean, form. Ter Stegen is definitely the best German goalkeeper. Arguably best keeper on the planet. Arguably. Well, the two best keepers on the planet playing. Playing yesterday? Yeah, they were. Or Blacktopus. Probably still are black. Probably. Because you always have to beat him with outrageous goals. Yeah, I still think Oblak's the best goal. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, but where were we? Bundesliga. Bundesliga, yeah. So, oh, talk of keepers. Alisson's red card totally is relatively under the radar, considering <laughs> yeah, how wild. I'm like, <laughs> why are more people not talking about this? Because Liverpool are about 25 points clear and they're going to win the league. But so it's, it's absolutely fine. wild. They, it's they absolutely could, wild. They could... <laughs> They could stick. They could stick Hendo in goal. They'd be oh, fine. Oh, I've been told. Actually, I've been told. Actually, given we'll go back to the Bundesliga in a second. But Brighton, obviously, losing two one to Liverpool at Anfield, two Van Dijk goals. But I've been told to plug um, Lewis Dunk for England. By well, because well, Lee said he gave me some chocolate cake if I plugged it. So if I just leave from Archetype Cafe, yeah, leave from the cafe. You've already had some chocolate cake. He's promising more. Can you leave this in? Yeah. So Lee Dunk for England. There, can I have my cake? Lewis Lee? Dunk. Get the name right if you want your cake. I said Lewis first time, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. but you said Lee the second Sorry. time. I was thinking of Lee archetype. Um, Lewis Dunk for England. There's the plug. Give my cake, please, Lee. Okay, wow. but back, to, back to the Bundesliga. <laughs> naked, naked advertising. Shameless profiteering. Yeah, back to the Bundesliga. So, Gladbach beating Freiburg 4-2. What a game. Great game. Mbolo and Turam coming with <sighs> the goods. Mbolo, what a player. He was brilliant for Schalke last season. And he's stepped always, up a level for Gladbach. I've always liked him. Always liked him. That Gladbach attack is so much fun. Gladbach are top and it's December. I think it's their best start, a best start to a Bundesliga season in 35 years, I think, when they won the league under Yup. They're a beautiful team as well. They're playing really good football. I, I, I would recommend if people check into the Bundesliga for Bayern and Dortmund, watch Gladbach this season. 
if I had Marco Rose is doing such a good if job. If I had there. a men's team in Germany, it would be it would be Gladbach. I remember seeing them beat Schalke. Um, such a hipster. Well, no, just because they're top of the league. No, it's because they beat Gladbach. If you look back, if they you didn't can go beat Gladbach, we if are you can Gladbach. Use, sorry, if they beat Schalke. If, <laughs> if you go on, um, see, this is what happens when you go late to the party, Musa. <laughs> I was early to the party, actually, as I'll explain. <laughs> if you go and Google, three years ago, Gladbach beat Schalke five-one when Favre was still there. And it's a beautiful performance. And that was the game. I was like, hey, these guys, they're not that high in the league, but they play out there. And they always play that style. And young people love going to Gladbach because the coaching structure is just set up to promote youth. So yeah, check out Gladbach. Great side to watch. Uh, elsewhere, RB Leipzig nearly threw away a three-gold lead at your boys Paderborn. Yeah, I thought pa- Paderborn were your German side in this season. No, I was rooting for them. I was rooting yeah. for them. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They played some great stuff, actually. Yeah, they were 3-0 three nil, three nil up. Paderborn came back to 3-2. Leipzig did go top until Gladbach won against Freiburg. The Leipzig attack is just so much more balanced this season. That's all Nagels, man. Like in terms of the coaching, it's yeah. so much more him. Yeah. yeah. Wolfsburg lost 3-2 at home to Bremen. That was a good game as well. I worry about Wolfsburg. It's funny because Bremer, they don't, they struggle to score more than one goal a game. Bremer gets them back to two all. And then when... They had that dislodged goal. They did, they did. For VAR. Was it offside? It was rightly offside. Though, offside, right? yeah, yeah, it was. It was. But yeah, they are struggling. They're actually a team to watch out for in the relegation zone, I think. Wolfsburg. It's the lack of goals, dude. Over the course of a season, if Ve- if Veghorst, if Veghorst or Joao Victor get like any kind of two, three week layoff, they're really in trouble goal wise. They just rely on those two to score so much of the goals. Well, I mean, there's a 12 point gap between them and the automatic relegation spots and a nine point gap between them and Hertha who are in the playoff spot. So I think I, I can't, them. I mean, they're ninth, dude. I can't see them. I can't see that many teams overtaking them this season I worry about them that's all well they've got Gladbach at home in a couple of weeks which I think will be a really good game I'll try and get to that but yeah speaking of Hertha it was Jürgen Klinsmann's first game in charge on the weekend against Dortmund at a freezing cold Olympiastadion there was a big TIFO thanking uh, Kovic Mm -hmm. um, who I think was popular and maybe felt people felt he was slightly hard done by there's a really good piece on the SPN from Stefan Ersfeld about this actually I'd recommend going reading it about Klinsmann taking over a little bit of the context his appointment to a kind of supervisory board a few months ago. Yeah, go and check that on the ESPN site because that will give you the wider Was there story. a sense that COVID was a sort of dead man walking? Or I think the thing with Hertha was that since they came back up, they've always been kind of marooned in mid-table or mid to lower mid-table under Pal Dardai. I think it alarmed them, especially with the investment from Windhorse this season. You know, they're essentially protecting an investment now and they can't go down. No, you know, If no. they go down this season, then... It's really bad, especially yeah. with Union doing so well. I think they might struggle to come back up as well. Well, they, they, it's tough yeah. to get out of the second. Exactly. It's, it's t- really it's tough. tough. Yeah. You know, you've seen how Hamburg haven't done it. Stuttgart are struggling. Much the delight of San Pauli. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Sorry, I mean, it was a... Not laughing at Hamburg fans. They could have taken a point on the weekend. Mm. Talking about intangibles post-game, in hindsight, it's all it's super easy to do that. But it really did feel like before the game that this could be Lucien Favre's last game at Dortmund. Dortmund have struggled in Berlin against Hertha over the last few years. I think they've only won one in five, which was last season in the league, that is. But yeah, like Musa said at the top of the show, I wrote a piece about it for the Stadio site, stadio.football, go and check it. I mean, I talk a little bit about it in there, but Matt Solmans got sent off just before half time. Dortmund had to play the whole second half to, with 10 men and they really dug in. And it's something that you haven't seen Dortmund do for a while. They either kind of destroy teams or they implode. Yeah. And you could tell at full time it was how much it meant because the Dortmund end went wild. I think this is a popular manager, Favre, and someone who people would like to turn it around and has so much goodwill, I think, from that 
championship run last year, which was thrilling. They're now only a point behind Bayern. Um, two behind Schalke, four behind Leipzig, and five behind Gladbach at the top. And they play Leipzig in a couple of weeks at home. There's a, what they call in Germany an English Wocker, which is when they play midweek games as well in the league. They've got a couple of potentially winnable games away from home. I think they've got Mainz and they've got... Um, I can't remember who else they've got. I wrote it in the piece though. But yeah, yeah the, the Leipzig game at home, they win that. That that's, top of the league is... I mean, that's so probably... It would probably be a great result for Gladbach, that actually. But yeah, it was very cold. And not a great game, to be honest. No, no, I didn't yeah. envy you that. Uh, so that's the Bundesliga. All good. Where should we go next on our... Oh, should we do some questions? Yeah, why not? All right, let's do some questions because we've got a lot of football. Let's go first question. Ola Fazio who my favorite question came of all. with receipts in he, the tweet he actually did a he put some posted some graphics Absolutely hilarious okay do you think that we are more scrutinizing over who is a top top player now more than ever and if so would you attribute that to having more access to football information basically youtube highlight reels or attribute that to having a decade with two of the greatest players to players comparisons basically the next messi phenomena good question there I think actually, I don't think we obsess over it more because don't forget, we used to have a European player of the year was separate to the FIFA and then you mm. had the World Soccer Player of the Year. So you had three different, you could potentially win if you're a European player, those three. Mm-hmm. And then it was such a big thing that the, the Ballon d'Or was like a whole gala thing. And in the old days, before you, when you only had like four TV channels, there was so much actually that you could argue the focus upon who the best player in the world was is even more intense because it was the centerpiece the FIFA Ballon d'Or Gala. And it was, you know, when Van Basten won, um, I think three straight European player of the year, it was absolutely unquestionable that he was the best player in the world. And I, so actually, I, I would say Olo, actually, I think that we've always had this intense focus. I mean, look at the three Dutchmen um, at Milan. We've always had this mythology of great players. I think that now it's just more obvious that that's what we've been doing. I love the stats. I love the additional context, but I think we've always had that mythology there. That makes sense. Yeah. I've said this a few times, but I think that the increase in popularity of stuff like FIFA over the last decade, 15 mm. years, has warped some perceptions of players in actual yeah. games. Yeah. Because I was very young, but I was around for the, the conception of the FIFA games on PlayStation. So I've grown up with them. And but this is what I think causes Paul Pogba so much grief, is that if you're good at FIFA, Paul Pogba is always good on FIFA in terms of like, if you play with a side with Paul Pogba and he's always amazing, it creates that kind of, well, why is he not amazing in real life? But That's because so interesting. If you know how to do the tricks and flicks on FIFA and he's always of peak condition because it's a computer game, he's always going to be really good. Also, this is a great point. I think as well, people forget how inconsistent a lot of great players were. Yeah. Like they forget. So... You know, I was talking. We were talking about Savicevic before we came on the podcast. He had some absolute shockers. Don't let people watches, realize how uncool we are. But you watch Savicevic highlights, and of course, you watch a YouTube compilation. He's just you know five minutes of end to end brilliance. No one ever shows the miscontrols on the highlight reel, right? Absolutely. And it, I, do you know what? I fall foul of this a little bit where it comes to the NBA because a lot of times I'll catch NBA highlights, and they only ever show the shots that go in. What game was it recently? I can't remember what it was. It might have been a Harden game. I was like, holy shit! I mean, he scored sixty on the weekend, by the way. Yeah. He was locked in. And didn't in, play, I think, the entire of the fourth but actually, quarter. To be fair, that game, he was locked in. He was missing hardly anything. But, but um, yeah, oh yeah, the point stands. I was yeah. just like, whoa, Harden's amazing. Oh my God, he's doing this amazing stuff. And then I checked the box score and it was <laughs> yeah. not a very high shooting 10 percentage. 10 to 35, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
that can really warp it. I would, I would say actually the obsession with the world's greatest player is less than it was in previous years. If you look at how Pele and Maradona fight for their legacy, yeah. look how Pele is still like taking slice shots at Messi or Maradona, he does, hasn't won a World Cup because they know they have to cling to that. Because yeah. look, let's talk about Maradona at Sevilla. No one really wants to talk about that, do they? Hey, do you not remember that thing? Was it on... Badil and Skinner's fantasy football Pele was, show. Pele was shite. <laughs> <laughs> All of Pele's like worst misses and you're like, oh my goodness, the free kick. Do you remember that? The free kick that he hits into space in Mexico 1970. <laughs> yeah, no one talks about that in the highlight reel. Well, you know, because you know, no one wants to. I think no. maybe everyone should not give players as much of a hard time when they don't perform well and maybe Can I be honest with tone you as well? down a little bit when they, Can I be honest with you when as they well? tear it up. When I look at players in teams who are revered as great, I always look at the supporting cast and I wonder what they say this behind closed Dawson's doors. Law. Well, when Modric won the Ballon d'Or, look at the joy, the outpouring of joy, because a lot of Real players, his teammates were like, finally Modric got his due. And if you look at the Pelé team, the great Santos team, 60s, who were all conquering. If you, I went to the Santos Museum and you see that Pelé scores, what, how many goals for Santos? There are two other players alongside Pelé, I think called Pepe and Coutinho, who score like, like 400, 500 goals each. You're like, you never hear about them. And they were like literally in the front three with him. You're like, that would be like, if, never if that hearing. was happening today, right? Every time Pepe, uh, every time Pele would score, yeah. you, or whoever, you just get people, people on Twitter being like, Mickey Mouse League. But then again, Mickey Mouse but, League. But you'd also get them talking about Firmino and, and Mane alongside Salah. Yeah. Like Pele is basically Salah and no one ever talking about Mane at Firmino. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Yeah. So actually, the emphasis on Great players, I think, is less now than it was then, if anything. Speaking of great players, a question about Viv Miedema oh, from Kunle Ajayo. Yeah. When will Miedema score double figures in one game? That's a tough ask. I mean, I don't know. I don't think she will because I think she's, she loves assisting too much as well. So she toned it down a little bit. Also, it's not Arsenal style to... Was the, what was the Washington Wizards thing a couple of years ago? Everybody eats. Everybody eats. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, he had another question, which was also speak Leipzig winning the league into existence. No, Kunle. Speak Gladbach winning the league into existence. Yeah, because Gladbach came with the firepower. They actually have the firepower, I think, to go the distance. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're, we're non-partisan on this podcast. Yeah. Even though we are aren't fans of two struggling teams in the Premier League. But... I think that Leipzig winning the Bundesliga would not be very popular with neutrals at all. Gladbach would be definitely popular, I think. Maybe apart from Leverkusen fans. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> and let's have another question from A.O. Leahy. Can Leicester really keep up with the Liverpool freight train? Don't see why not. Europe is not a stress for them. Do you know what this is very reminiscent of? Rodgers' title push at Liverpool. No Europe? Yeah. Exactly. Under the radar? Free scoring? Pre-scoring and their strengths match up to so many of the league weaknesses. Yeah, why not? They just look brutal. Yeah, I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit here and say I don't know. I mean, the squad's not got Europe to worry about. I don't see why they can't look realistically a top five finish this year. I don't see why not. Got um, some shade thrown at you. You ready? Heavy lies the crown, my friend. (laughs) Heavy lies the crown. At Red Mancunia Red. Can Musa feign surprise at Man United drop points again? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Reg Mankinia Red. Thank you. <laughs> Do you feel seen, Musa Kwonga? Oh my goodness. They dropped points. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I know. They didn't hold on to a lead. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Spurs lost at home to Villa. Good point that for Man United. The goal by Grealish. It's not often you see De Gea absolutely bemused, befuddled, 
It was a Del Piero style finish from Grealish. And it's probably an underrated goal, actually. I think he's kind of underrated. Yeah, he is. He is. In fact, that goal is, that goal is like a microcosm. I mean, that that should have been. It's one of the goals of the weekend in any league. Statistically, England's best midfielder really? in the Premier League this season. I think that, that goal is <laughs> it's one of the goals of the weekend. And we're not yeah. really hearing about it. Yeah. Which says a lot. Love, love that question. <laughs> There's one from Caricom. Shout yeah. to Caricom. Yes, yes. Is Jaden Sancho leaving Dortmund this January or summer? And if so, where should he go? What a question. Well, there's talk of him leaving. David Ornstein came out and said that he was unhappy. Yeah. But he did sign a contract in the summer, I believe. Yeah, but Ornstein knows. He knows I mean, his business. Yeah, he, The Ornacle. Yeah. The Ornacle. <laughs> is he leaving? Very good chance he is. Where to? There's another question entirely. Can I be honest with you? There aren't many clubs I'd I want Sancho to like land in a great situation. I really don't want him to come to the Premier League. So many clubs are in disarray. That that's the problem. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's not many clubs yeah. I look at and be like, he unless he really comes flash. to Arsenal, then it's fine. Yeah, Actually, no, do you know what? You don't well, need him. Uh, you don't need, you don't need uh, him. What are you talking about? Every club needs Sancho. Yeah, but well, he, okay, where would, let me rephrase that. Where could he go and slot in comfortably? Barca. That's true, actually. That's true. And enough. I think he would be happy there. I hope that a good agent, I hope his agent's good enough to get him there. But I do wonder if Dembele's experience might affect that. I don't think Dembele is long for Barca at this point. I just think there's, just looking at the kind of the goodwill he created and then sort of squandered. Peak Dembele and peak Sancho, either side of a peak Lionel Messi. It's quite fun. Yeah, it, it was great fun. It's great fun. But we are, we are two universes removed from I know, that I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know, actually. I don't know. I, I, I really do think that maybe, I think Dortmund is the best place for him at the moment. I think so. I think so. Because he's also experiencing that levelling off period, which a lot of young players have at that age. He's not even twenty yet, I don't think. And people learn what you start. People start learning what you do. Yeah, yeah. Talk, he's gonna. He's gonna. It might. He might not be as explosive for a year, and then he'll kick on another level. Talking of like young players who are still bossing it, you know, Odegaard's not twenty-one until yeah. end of December. Ugh. Wild. All these Wild. young and all these still youngsters on, still unknown at Real. Still unknown from Real. Yeah. Wild. It's a couple of Arsenal related questions. One from Jared Ellis, and I don't know who Jared thinks we are. <laughs> Can you gents find a competent centre-back pairing for Arsenal this season? Jared, we do a podcast. <laughs> if we had that kind of money. We're not geniuses. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, uh, short answer. We can, just short, we can just do this and then no. No, we can't. And also, I think Actually, I've, an got, interesting a, I've question. got a competent centre-back pairing. Pairing, that's interesting. Because yeah. I'm thinking in terms of chemistry, it's very hard to actually like... I'm thinking Chiellini and Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> and then maybe maybe Arsenal might be able to defend for a little bit you said competent not world conquering not world destroying yeah but the thing is they're so good that when they move to Arsenal they'll just become competent oh no <laughs> you know the levels of that I felt that in my soul the defenders graveyard that is the Emirates Stadium I felt that deep oh my goodness you know just ask Sebastian Scalacci he was good when he came to Arsenal yeah he was he was just like you ain't gonna put any midfielders in front of us oh, we're gonna Lord. struggle oh, poor Arsenal <laughs> okay Let's wrap. Well, actually, a quick one. Scott Selter says, thoughts on the job Vyash Boris is doing at Marseille? Will he ever be considered for another elite level job? Or will the Chelsea slash Spurs days put elite clubs off? I mean, Marseille is second. He's doing pretty well. I think he will have to be there for a while and take them to absolute maximum, the absolute maximum that he can before he gets considered for another job. It's very interesting, actually, um, how reputation can fade as a coach. I mean, it's funny. Look at Marco Silva, for example, and how long his reputation took to... Well, no. Oh, actually. Oh, 
Yes, Boris to Everton. Well, you see, you see what I'm saying? So actually... That, that gruff accent, <laughs> a little bit of scouse in uh, there. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Vias Boris, he has a great CV behind him and there's no reason why he can't work his way back up the ladder. And I say that only... Well, that's not fair to Marseille. is a huge club. So let's, yeah, let I mean, me first, a massive club. Let me, but in terms of like, if he wants to go to the Premier League again, there's no reason why he can't return. And I, the reason I say that is because if you look at Mourinho, there's an understanding, I think, with the amount of money in the game now and the difficulty people are understanding it takes a stave in the top six people like we there's only a limited number of managers at any one point that can keep clubs in that high echelon yeah so people are going more and more to safe bets so if he can restore faith in himself as a safe bet they'll be like yeah he's got pedigree he could do this again so there's I mean, no reason know. why he can't yeah, there's, there's no gonna be some why. more movement in the premier league i mean yeah. i just checked marco silva is still in charge at everton he said apparently he's going to be in charge for the merseyside derby this week Oh, just he's just so he, he looks so sad. I've said this before, but it breaks my heart seeing seeing him so sad. He's got a really sad, sad face, Marco Silva. When Everton scored at the weekend against Leicester, and he sort of turned to the crowd and punched his fist in defiance, I kind of thought, "No, are you are you really happy? Are you just trying to like summon passion, or are you just really well, when you maybe when you're that sad, the small things feel way happier. But I mean, a manager who isn't going to be happy, Kiko Sanchez Flores got fired again yeah. from Watford. Maybe Marco Silva will go back there. I mean, the horror. <laughs> Poor Watford. All right, let's do one or two quick questions yep. before we go. Yep, yep. Kind of covered a lot of these, actually. Oh, one from Mash St. Paddy. Klinsman, can he change? Is Hurst the right fit? Hey, Mash, how's it going? I'm interacting. See, there we go. Yeah, again. I was just leaving a little space for, for him to reply. Okay, Mash. The US men's national team couldn't wait to run him out of town by the end. I don't think he's a bad coach, but this seems like a commercial decision. First and foremost, actually, we kind of covered that. Yeah, yeah kind, I mean, kind pretty, pretty much. I think we've covered most of the stuff. The one thing we haven't covered is Serie A. Yeah. So Inter still top, 2-1 win. It's Spal. Two goals from Lotaro. And Ronaldo got one in the two-all draw. And he got a penalty and then he uh, single-handedly stopped Juve winning the game by blocking <laughs> Dybala's shot. And there's, there's all kinds of metaphors there. Peak Ronaldo. Peak Ronaldo. Um, in that game, though, against Sassuolo... Did you see Jeremy Boga's goal? I didn't know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I seen. mean, Buffon did very much look like a 41-year-old goalkeeper. Oh no. I think the pitch side mics picked up the creak in a little bit. Oh no, this is ages. Yeah. I'm only, I'm a year younger than Buffon. I'm an old hey, man. I'm not far off. Like <laughs> I said, one day I'll be your age. Creaking. <laughs> <laughs> but he also was at fault for the second goal. Oh dear. But yeah, Jeremy Boga, lovely dink. Lovely, lovely dink. I think we're done, right? You've got a piece going up on the website this week. I do, yes, indeed. And you've yeah. also got um, a new book. Piece going up this week. Just finished writing a piece for the Observer magazine on online racism suffered by black footballers, for which I interviewed Enia Luko, shout out, Troy Deeney, Ify Onawara at the PFA, Twitter UK, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Mm-hmm. And the third thing was a new book coming out. I've just written a memoir. I'm writing a memoir about my five years at boarding school at Eton College called How to Avoid Detection. So you can check that out from my Twitter. Yeah, there's a fun, like a Kickstarter kind of vibe, isn't there? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. go and support. Unbound, yeah, yeah. You're going to have a piece up on the Stadio site, right? I will, yeah. It's in the process of completion right now. Okay. It's about... Can uh, you uh, can give you, a preview? Don't, no, no, don't, don't spoil it. Okay. Because otherwise people won't go and read it. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm writing it and I'm, I like it. It's been fun to write. Nice. I might have another thing going up this week. I felt a bit rusty going, writing. I haven't written anything since... Uh, May? I feel the same writing this piece as well, the one I've been working on too for Stadio. Because like, really? you, you want to make it like, 
nice and like yeah. um, expressive and fun. So yeah, but yeah. I think I feel happy about it. So do far. go and check the site out. Stadio.football is the address. You can email us through there. Yep. You can sign up to a mailing list that we will, we're going to start doing a newsletter soon. Follow us on Twitter at Stadio. Follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and a review. It really helps us grow the podcast. And as we said at the top of the show, Prince yes. fans, finally. So there was a big bonus edition of 1999 got released on Friday with a fully mastered version of one of my all-time Prince tunes, Purple Music. So we're going to play out with Purple Music by Prince. Oh. Uh. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Right, we'll be back next week. <laughs>